You're listening to the Crowned One Podcast on the Stream Grace Network. Welcome to our inaugural podcast. I'm Stephen Cunningham with my wife, Rebecca, sitting here beside me. This is our inaugural podcast on the Stream Grace Network, and we just wanted to say welcome and thank you guys for joining us. And uh, what a great time we've been having just setting this thing up with Jeremy and getting ready to go and do some interviews. We have done quite a few in the past, actually, with our ministry, Crowned One Ministries, that we started a few years ago, where I had an encounter with the Lord where he said, I want unity in my body, and I want the five-fold ministry back in my body. So we've been doing that for about four years now with Crowned One Ministries. And just this last year, we started our own church, the Sanctuary OKC, and uh, it's been doing great things. I mean, we're just having a wonderful time doing this. So for our first podcast, what I wanted to do was share one of the interviews that we've had in the past with uh, Andrew Womack who is the uh, founder of Andrew Womack Ministries and Karis Bible College, which has campuses all over the United States and all over the world. And that's where we graduated. We spent three years at Karis Bible College, where the only book required is the Bible, as it should be, in my opinion. But so uh, of the many interviews that we've done, we've interviewed uh, uh, Mario Murillo and Dwayne Sheriff and John Tesh and you know, Lance Wall now, and of course, Andrew Womack. So we're, we're going to share some of those with you. And those are uh, ones that we've done in the past. Plus, our future interviews will all be on here first. But uh, if you have any questions from us, or you can go to our, our YouTube channel, which is Crown One Ministries and the Sanctuary OKC, which we have our Sunday messages uh, live stream on Facebook as well for Crown One Ministries and the Sanctuary OKC. You can find us on there. But I just wanted to say, if you have any prayer requests, um, things you just want to talk about, you'll get to know us as we do more of these interviews, and we'll get to know you as you uh, give us some feedback, and we can talk about those things. Um, But we just want to unite the body. Uh, That's our our vision for this ministry and for this church, is to uh, get us all to stand together and link arms and present a united front. And that's what we're all about. And we want others to know about what your ministry is doing, what your church is doing. So we'd love to get to know you so we can do this together because it takes a body. So anyway, without any further ado, I want to go ahead and share this interview that we did with Andrew Womack. And I hope you're blessed by it. And we look forward to you spending more time with us on these interviews, on these podcasts. We would love to get to know you. So hope you enjoy this, and God bless. But today, we are so blessed to have uh, one of the generals of our faith of this day and time uh, coming to sit down and just talk with us, have a conversation with us. Uh, Well, I I can't tell you there's nothing like family. You know, family is such a blessing. And uh, I'm talking about the family, the spiritual family, and also our blood family. And uh, today I just wanted to, uh, and I'm honored to welcome uh, to Crown One-on-One, Andrew Womack from Andrew Womack Ministries, who is president and founder of Andrew Womack Ministries and president and founder of Karis Bible College, which is all over the world. So let's go ahead and bring him in. Andrew, can you hear me? I can hear you and see you. Good to be with you, Stephen. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Did you tell the people 
you're my nephew-in-law, or you uh, <laughs> know that. No, you know what? I'm sure some of them do, but not many people realize that we're, I'm your nephew-in-law, and my wife Rebecca is your is your niece. And boy, what a what a you know, just talking about family, what a family bond that is, and just so blessed to you know the mistakes that I make coming up through that you know you have already been there, you've already done it, and so to be able to learn that. And to also have a resource when I'm preparing a sermon or something or, or a message, I just, I can ask you questions and, you know, it's, it's awesome to be able to get feedback from you like that. So thank you for that, by the way. Well, it's exciting to see what God's doing in you and Becky's life. And uh, man, you're doing a great job there in Oklahoma City at Karis. And now these broadcasts that you're doing, it's just exciting to see you oh. get involved and sharing, sharing the word. We, we are thrilled. We're just, we're so glad to be useful to the ministry and to the word that we get to spread that in a way that, you know, with this COVID stuff, it's kind of opened up a new avenue for, for spreading the word and not just people coming in your doors. But you, of course, you've been on television for a long time. How long have you been on television? We started on television January the 3rd, 2000. So it's been 20 years. Wow. So, and that's just been, you know, and I know that's where I first saw you was on television and I, I had some questions about uh, speaking in tongues. And uh, when I grew up, it was, I had to go back to church and I had to, get, you know, rededicate my life every Sunday because I'd go home and I'd see a commercial on TV. I wasn't supposed to see or something. And I had to go rededicate my life. So uh, watching you on gospel truth really, ministered to me like I'm sure so many others have done but when you know thank you for that by the way thank you for 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 hearing the Lord and being obedient to the Lord so um I just wanted to uh, bring up a couple of things with you um mi military let's start with military you and I both have a military background we back we're both in the army both went through that basic training and uh so you when you went to Vietnam uh how did that prepare you for the experiences that you had going, coming back and going into ministry the way that you did? Well, you know, the military per se didn't uh, prepare me or impact me. Like I've, I've heard you talk about that you've learned, you know, discipline and organization, different things. But with me, what happened in the military was I went to Vietnam and for 13 months, I just sat in a bunker. That's all I did. I was a chaplain's assistant and I had a chaplain about four months out of my 13 months, but the rest of the time I was totally by myself and out of desperation, I just started reading the Bible and I read the Bible anywhere from 12 to 15 hours a day. And then I pulled bunker guard every night. So uh, I'd pray at least four hours during my guard duty and so 15 hours of studying the word every day, four hours of praying every day. Man, when I came out of Vietnam, I was a transformed person. It was my Bible school. Absolutely. So, so it, it more or less helped you set a good foundation in the word. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. I had, you know, I always read my daily Bible readings as a kid in church, but it was all superficial. And it was right before I went to Vietnam. In 1968, March the 23rd, when I had that experience with the Lord that changed my life. And I started getting into the Word, but it was, again, somewhat superficial. I was probably more involved in fellowship and prayer with people than I was the Word. But when I got into Vietnam, there was nobody 
who was a Christian around me, except the ones that I led to the Lord. And um, I mean, out of desperation, I just stuck my nose in the word. And, you know, I've got a teaching entitled Effortless Change. And that's really what happened to me. I just began to change effortlessly as I got into the word and renewed my mind. A lot of the old thinking began to change. And I came out of there a totally different person. Didn't mean to, didn't intend to, but it just happened. Well, that's awesome. You know, the effortless change is one of my favorites because that is one thing that we we like to share with people over and over. It's just, you know, once you get in the word and you just start getting in that relationship with the Lord, change happens without you even, you know, basically. Amen. Amen. So um, being prior military and, and serving your country and seeing a lot that's going on now, uh, one, of the, one of the big questions we get all the time is how can the body of Christ be more effective today? Um, it seems like, does it seem like we're losing a lot of the patriotism and a lot of the, the love for this country? Obviously with the, with the founders of this country and what they represented, now their names are being dragged through the mud and saying that they were, I, I guess my question is, how can the body be more effective today uh, when, when we're losing the patriotism, we're losing our godly, or they're trying to make us lose our godly foundations. And I know that David Barton and, you know, Richard Harris and those guys are fighting a very good fight against that. But how can we as Christians, how can the body be more effective today with what's going on? I believe that education, uh, not just, you know, formal education, going to school, but teaching ourselves the truth, not only about the word of God, but about our history is critical because, you know, I was watching the president give his speech at Mount Rushmore and there were people that talked about he was standing in front of all of these white supremacists and supremacists. And because uh, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson had slaves, there's people that just trashed them and said that they were really ungodly people and stuff. And it's because people don't know the truth. Like, for instance, I've learned studying that, you know, George Washington and George Mason in 1774 petitioned the British government to abolish slavery in the colonies. Now, the reason George Washington had slaves is because he inherited them. He got his first slave given to him when he was 10 years old. He grew up in that culture, and it was against the law in Virginia to, let, uh, to free a slave. It was literally against the law, and he petitioned the British government to end it. And, of course, they wouldn't allow it. And then Thomas Jefferson, his first draft of the um, uh, Declaration of Independence had four or five paragraphs in there where he was listing the grievances against the British government, and one of them was slavery. And he said that they are men, and he capitalized the word men, the only other words that were all capitals in the Declaration of Independence was where it talked about, uh, you know, that we have these, uh, I forgot the exact wording of it, but it was about the United States of America, I think, and he capitalized that. And he argued against slavery. Washington and Jefferson both were against slavery. They petitioned to end it, but even after the, uh, after the Revolutionary War, Virginia was one of the southern states that permitted slavery, and they lived in Virginia, and it was against the law for them to get rid of slavery. So at their death, at Washington's death, he freed all of the slaves. Wow. Anyway, it's ignorance when people sit there and say they're slave owners, and here they were, they were hypocrites and stuff. They were against it, but they were living in a time where their hands were somewhat tied, very similar to what we see going on with the virus. 
today that, man, I'm not in support of all of these restrictive things that are going on, but here's the government passing these laws, and I got crossways with them, and they served me a cease and desist order, and I went ahead and held the meetings, and we are now in the crosshairs of the Colorado government and stuff, and so people can sit there and criticize me from 200 years removed and not understand the situation that we're in, but that's ignorance on their part. It's not a criticism of those individuals. Absolutely. And once again, like, thank you for, for taking a stand on that and being a leader in that area, because I, I hear so many people in local churches and, you know, I, I threw my ring in the political arena and we asked churches to come support us against abolishing abortion. And, and, and like I said, 27 out of those 30 churches wouldn't do it. They didn't want to be divisive. So thank you for standing up. I mean, it's almost impossible to think. Going back to what you were saying, what can we do? See, when it comes to pro-life, if people understood that Margaret Sanger is the lady who started Planned Parenthood and she was into eugenics, Hitler was her role model. She loved Hitler. And she started Planned Parenthood with her stated goal to be to eliminate the black population. She hated blacks. And to this day, I, I forget the exact figures don't hold me to this, but I know it's close to 50%. I think it's 43% of all abortions are done on blacks, and blacks only constitute 12 to 15% of our population. See, if people knew the history, here they are tearing down statues and complaining if a person even looks at them the wrong way, and yet nearly every single one of these people who are causing these riots in our nation today would sit there and back Planned Parenthood. And it's because they are ignorant about where it came from. It's so hypocritical. And it's because people don't know our own history. So one of the things that we can do is to speak out these things. And as you mentioned, David Barton, Bill Federer, these guys are just doing a great job. I would encourage people to go visit wall builders and get hold of the truth. It would set you free. Amen. And, you know, it's uh, people react out of emotion rather than, you know, knowledge or education. You know, I, I spent two years teaching in a high school and I was just floored at some of the things that are left out or that students didn't know about. I, I had my students uh, read the Gettysburg Address and I asked them, I said, so what's Gettysburg? And they said, oh, I, I think it was a war sometime or something. And, I, you know, so I, I kind of backtracked and had to do some teaching there. But uh, we just saw the other day a library throwing away hundreds and thousands of books because it had to do with Native Americans and, and, and some of our history and, and, and different chapters of our history. So it, you're 100% correct. They're, they're, they're chipping and trying to chip away at our education, at our past and rewrite it. So, and, you know, there was a communist manifesto and it was actually read into the congressional record, I think, back in the 1950s. Somebody read it, and there were 50 things that they said that they were going to do. And you can read them, and I bet you that over 40 of those things that they read and said, this is how we are going to destroy America. You can see those things happening. And it was tearing down statues. It was causing race riots and discontent among races. It was grabbing hold of the education system and changing the narrative change you know, turning people against their own deal, taking away their history, all of these things that we see happening in our protests, the Black Lives Matter, and all of that stuff, it is directly a part of the Communist Manifesto. 
And I think the lady's name is Prentice Colors. Uh, she's one of the three black ladies that started Black Lives Matter. And I saw an interview that she did, and this came out of her own mouth. She said, this is not spontaneous. We are trained Marxists. Wow. Goal is to destroy this nation. And that's what she said. This is the foundation of Black Lives Matter. Now, I will say that I've got friends who are a part of Black Lives Matter, and they are sucked up into it. So I'm not saying that every person in it has these evil motives, but I can guarantee you it is pure evil what is behind this. And it doesn't happen accidentally that they drop off bricks where a protest is going to be that night, and they drop off a pallet of bricks just accidentally and it spontaneously happened. This is planned. It's orchestrated. It's of the devil and people who are supporting that and taking a knee, the Black Lives Matter, like Nancy Pelosi did, they are rewarding this and abetting it. And I tell you what, it's causing a lot of problems in our nation. Absolutely. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. We can kind of look back at our past and see where over the years and decades, the enemy has been whittling away at our foundational core of beliefs and, and including family, you know, uh, marriage, you know, and taking away the roles of men and women and feminizing the men, masculinizing the women. And uh, now you, you have a choice. I think it's uh, I can't remember what it was, 10 days to determine the, the, the sex of the child. You know what? It's just the, the, the basic foundational guides that the Lord has put into place. They're, they're trying to whittle away that. And that's where, you know, we, I feel as the body, we have to get out and it's not. And I hear a lot of people say, we're going to pray it out. We're going to pray it through and pray. And don't get me wrong. Hear my heart on this. I don't, I, I think, you know, prayer is necessary, but we have to do more. We have to vocalize. We have to get out and we have to be heard. So, uh, the way I pray is to say, Father, I know that you're against this. I rebuke it. But then I spend my time praying and saying, how can I affect this? Amen. Prayer is no good unless you are willing to put action to it. You know, the scripture says faith without works is dead. I'm, I'm bold enough to say that prayer without following through and doing something after you pray is dead. If all you're doing is asking God to do what he told you to do, he said you are the salt and light of this earth. And if you don't get out and start doing that, your prayers are absolutely useless unless you are willing to offer yourself as a tool for God to flow through. Now, there may be some things that you can't affect personally. And so then you can pray that God will touch other people and send other laborers into the path. But if there's something you can do, and yet you're praying that God will do it and you aren't doing your part, your prayers are useless. Amen. Amen. So um, tell us a little bit about uh, you. Is there anything that, that now I happen to know that you are a very skilled woodworker. Do you still, do you still dabble in that at all? I know you made these belt buckles. I still never got one by the way. And we're family, right? But anyway. All right. All right. All right. So I've, I've got one. I'll send it to you. <laughs> now, I didn't know that you didn't have one. No, I was just, uh, I, I recognize that, that you do that. And that's, I mean, your whole family basically is very talented in a lot of different areas. Um, so with woodworking and we've been to your, you know, place where you have this trail that you walk around your prayer trail and stuff like that. 
Uh, do you still get to spend some good quality time alone with the Lord, or are you pretty much just booked to the teeth? Well, during this uh, shutdown, the quarantine stuff, I have spent more time probably with the Lord than I have in a very long time. And I've been studying the Word a lot. I walk about two hours a day, usually seven or eight miles a, a day, and I spend all that time with the Lord. So I, it's been good for me. And this is one of the things that I've been pointing out, Stephen. Some people are lonely. Some people are bored. If that's been like the people who are watching this broadcast, if that's the way that they've responded, what that says, it says a lot about their relationship with the Lord because God never leaves us nor forsakes us. And this is just a great opportunity to spend more time with the Lord and have more intimacy with the Lord than what our schedule typically allows. So in answer to your question, man, I am not bored at all. I've been having a great time. And Jamie and I love being with each other. There are some people that, you know, they've had to spend all day, every day with their mate, and it's destroyed their mate. What's wrong with this? Uh, the person you're married to, you don't like being with them. That shows you that you need some work in your marriage. But I've been having a great time, but I am excited about getting back out and sharing the word with you. Amen. That's good. And, and, and by the way, Jamie, who's just, she was with you from day one on this and we just, we love her to pieces and what a blessing she has. We got to watch the 4th of July uh, performance that, that you, that you, uh, Karis put on. And that was absolutely amazing. It was uh, amazing. That was great. So she's, uh, she's uh, loving this stuff. Matter of fact, she's been involved in all of these musicals and back a year or two ago after one of those musicals, she says, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life. And I looked at her and I said, Man, I need to step up my game. I didn't even get <laughs> mention in this. <laughs> yeah, that that was absolutely amazing. So, um, I'm not going to pick your your brain too much, but can you tell us real quick? Karis has been such a blessing to so many people, including us. We're, we we went two years, gra graduated, went third year, graduated. Now Rebecca and I are running the school. Rebecca is basically running the school. She's a director in Oklahoma City. I heard you say before that you never wanted to start a Bible college. Uh, and, and if I misquote you, I apologize. But can you tell us how you decided to go ahead and start a Bible college? I said those exact words. I don't want a Bible college. And it was because I had seen people graduate from Bible college. And as a whole, they came out with this superior attitude, feeling like, you know, that they knew things others didn't. And they were proud and arrogant and didn't really reflect the Lord very well. You know, there's a scripture that says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, First eight one. And so because of the fruit I was seeing from Bible colleges, I said, man, I don't want a Bible college. But I just had so many people keep asking me, is there some way that we could sit under your ministry more than just getting the materials and listening to it on our own? Is there they were asking for discipleship, and I was totally committed to it. And I was over in England in 1993, and uh, I was listening to a man talk about leadership, and he made this statement. He says, if you aren't making disciples, then your ministry is ultimately a failure. Because he said, nobody's going to live forever, and once you're gone, then your ministry is over. You've got to raise up other people. And man, I was in a hundred percent agreement. 
And I was just saying, Father, how do I do this more effectively? And I mean, out of the blue, he told me to start a Bible school. The last thing I was thinking of. And so I began to say, but God, and I started uh, voicing all of my objections to it. And he showed me a different way of doing Bible school. The first year of our Bible school is just basically teaching, trying to get everybody on the same page theologically, which is necessary because we've got people that come from every possible background you can imagine. But then the second year starts getting real specific and it starts discipling people, application. Like there's many ways that we do it, but one of the ways is we make every person who graduates go on a missions trip, yes. a mission trip. The only exception would be foreigners who come there. We make them go on a like to the Indian reservation or something, which to them is foreign. But we make them go out and start putting into practice. And so it's not just intellectual. It's not just knowledge, but it's discipleship. It's training. And then in our third year courses, we get really specific. And we got eight different tracks that deal with government and business and ministry and media and, you know, just all of these different things. And it is one-on-one discipleship. And so when the Lord showed me a different way of doing it to where it incorporated teaching from the Bible, but it was primarily discipleship oriented, uh, that's what sold me on it. And we started it and we're now in our 26th year of Bible college and we've turned out uh, tens of thousands of disciples. And I mean, they are making a real difference, just like you and Rebecca right there. And <laughs> Amen. It's, it's just wonderful to see. Yeah, it's such a blessing. I can't, I, I can't even put into words the, the change, you know, because we, you know, honestly, and, and being completely transparent, you know, I thought I read the Bible my whole life. You know, I've I've, I've done this and that. And, and, and when I got into Karis, I had no idea how much I didn't know about the word and about the Lord and how much he loved me until I got in there and just sat under that word and so many wonderful teachers there. I mean, we loved hearing your teachings. We love, you know, Barry Bennett and Wendell Parr and Greg Moore and on and on. It's just, it was like, you know, trying to take a drink out of a, uh, a fire hose, you know, it was just, it was really the Lord has assembled one of the best teaching staffs anywhere on the planet. And not only our uh, own staff, instructors but we have in i forget the exact number but it's over a hundred instructors every year as guest ministers and we bring in some of the best known ministers on the planet to come in so i think you are hearing things that there is no way that a person on their own could ever receive the instruction that they get through caris they couldn't do it on their own uh it's just really unique what god's doing Awesome. Yeah, that is great. I mean, and for that to come together like that, um, our personal ministry, I, I had a, a a supernatural experience with the Lord. He came into my office and and it, and I'll tell you, I'll go into that in detail with you sometime. But he said, I'm going to send you people. And it was just within the next 10 days or so, just people started coming saying, hey, you know, the Lord's telling me that we need to help you with. And it, we, we have the most amazing leadership team now at Crown One Ministry that the Lord has just sent us. So, and that all happened after we started understanding a better way to pray and a better way to do things. And so once again, we're just so, we're so blessed about that. Um, is the cease and desist still in effect? Is that, 
Uh, that cease and desist order was over our summer family Bible conference and then that uh, production that you mentioned, In God We Trust, on Saturday. And we violated that. We got Liberty Council to represent us. They wrote a letter saying we would not uh, obey their orders. We had the constitutional right to meet. And so we disobeyed that, and uh, they didn't do anything. So the cease and desist order is over. But the next time we have a meeting, we're going to run into the exact same thing. And uh, we are now in their crosshairs. And uh, so we're still dealing with it. I would really ask the people who are in agreement with what we're doing to pray for us. Because, man, I'm, I, I compare it to like going through uncharted waters that have mines everywhere. Right. Surface. And this could be devastating. And I just, uh, I really need wisdom to be able to know exactly what to do and how to deal with this. Amen. Well, we will all and all of our viewers and listeners and, and our partners will all, you know, we're all in agreement with you. We're standing behind you. And uh, so and, and uh, I won't keep you much longer. At what point in a Christian's walk uh, should we obey the government? And at what point should we stop and say, you know, listen, that's and I know when it comes against biblical uh, advice, but but is there a point where we should say, you know what, hey, listen, you can't force these masks on me, or you can't force me from having my ministry or my church? Um, well, I believe that we have the constitutional right to assemble the First Amendment. Actually, there's the Fourth, and there's a number of amendments that give us the right. But then I also am a part of a community, and I don't want to knowingly bring people together and spread a disease. And so you've got Two things working here. If it was only the constitutional right uh, that was at play, well, our governor has said that these quarantines and, and things, he's loosened them a little bit, but he's still got restrictions on like not more than 175 people meeting together and certain things. And he said that they are going to keep that in place until there is a cure or a vaccination. Well, that's open-ended. There may never be a cure. Right. And just not hold church forever? Well, no. And I, I sent him a letter and had 704 ministers sign it with me. And I said, my voluntary participation is over. That when you say that you are dictating when we can meet and stuff, I said, that's over. So if that's the only issue I was dealing with, I would go ahead and uh, just hold our meetings and ignore the things. And if they come and arrest me or something, let it be. Because uh, I won't give the details, but I've got the people in the highest uh, places in our nation that have said that they will come to bat for me. And I think I would ultimately win. So that's one issue. But then uh, we also have a responsibility to the people who come. And if we know that, say, for instance, some virus is going to infect a hundred people and kill 20 of them and stuff, man, I'm not sure that I'm going to do that. And after this last conference that we had, we have had some people that got the virus. They assume at our meeting, which is quite an assumption when we had up to 50,000 tourists in our town over that week. And we only had a thousand at our meeting. Uh, but yet they're crediting it to us. And, um, you know, I don't want to 
uh, do something that is going to spread the virus and do things. So we've, we've gone to extremes doing temperature checks and wearing masks, which I personally dislike. But we've, we've cooperated to a degree, and I'm right now in that position, whereas if it was only the First Amendment and if it was only me going to jail that was at stake, uh, I would do, I would just hold the meetings. And there are scriptural examples of that. I could give you a bunch of them out of Daniel and and Peter and the way they did things. but So we've got scriptural examples for civil disobedience if it violates, you know, the freedoms that we have. But then I've also got a responsibility to people. And so I have to weigh these two things, and uh, that's where my dilemma is. Awesome. Well, it's tough. Yeah, that, that's quite an assumption. I mean, they could have got that at Walmart or something, you know. I bet you Walmart had a lot more than a thousand people come through their doors a month in a week's time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's so many great organizations now that are coming together. I mean, uh, you got million voices and you've got wall builders and you have, you know, uh, and and by the way, your, your, your other niece and nephew in law are watching Rachel Coons and Kevin Coons and, and they're involved with million voices. You're going to be hearing more about them and we're going to be sharing more about them because listen, our ministry, our whole ministry, our whole vision is to link, unite the body, to link arms together. And uh, so we're, we're, we're going to be sharing resources. We're going to be doing all those wonderful things to just get the word out. Um, so what's the one question we ask every guest, and we'll, we'll, we'll close it with this. What uh, is the Lord putting anything on your heart into, uh, specifically about the situation that's going on now. Is there anything, any, any, anything that we should just keep in mind, something that we can write down in our notebook, something that he's specifically mentioning to you, anything specific? Well, I'll say this, that I've prayed about all of the protests and I mean, it looks like our nation is unraveling. And uh, if you were a pessimist, you could certainly make a case for that. But I am believing that, that what's happened is that, you know, Satan loves to do things covertly. He doesn't, if he comes out with a pitchfork and a tail and pointed ears, everybody would recognize it's the devil. He loves to conceal things and, and do things uh, under the radar. I believe what has happened is if Trump hasn't drained the swamp, he's at least lowered the water level so that a lot of the critters are showing. I believe he has flushed out stuff. And we these liberals they're going to extremes where now it's not just about you know abortion they are actually out to kill the baby after it is completely out of the womb born healthy and they're willing to let it die and biden made statements like you know if you are pro-life you have no place in the democratic party i think that the left has been exposed the disguise has been taken off and then the defund the police and people taking over certain cities and uh, just the anarchy that is being promoted and embraced. And like I mentioned, Pelosi putting on an uh, African garb and bowing the knee in the, in the house and stuff. These things have, have removed the mask. I believe that they have been exposed. And what I'm praying and believing for is that anybody who's got any sanity left is now going to see that the predictions that have been made for decades by Christians talking about where things are going if we don't stand up and do things, 
many people thought that those were extreme, that we were an extreme and that, you know, these things would never happen. They're beginning to happen. And I think it's going to cause a backlash in November. And I think Trump's going to win by a landslide. I think that we are going to see the House turn back uh, to Republican. And hopefully all of these mayors and governors who are allowing this anarchy are going to be exposed. And I, I think it could be a real turning point. This could be the beginning of a revival, people seeing that the Lord is the only answer that we've got to this mess. So, Okay, and so that was my interview with Andrew Womack over a year ago. And, uh, of course, some things uh, we were talking about, the upcoming election and, and things didn't turn out the way we thought they would. And I mean, you know, you can say what you want about the election. There's still a lot of unresolved issues about that. But we're so glad you joined us for our inaugural podcast. And we want to invite you to come back. And also, all of our interviews are on our YouTube and Facebook at crownedoneministries.com. Uh, if you just look it up on uh, YouTube, you'll see it. Also, uh, Sanctuary OKC Facebook, where we have our weekly uh, Sunday service that we live broadcast at 11 a.m., 1817 South Morgan Road, but you're more than welcome to join us. So I just wanted to say thank you, and I want to say that anytime uh, you guys want to join us, we'll have more podcasts coming, and you are more than welcome to join us. And so for my wife, Rebecca, I'm Stephen Cunningham, and thank you again for Crown One Ministries podcast, and we look forward to seeing you guys more in the future. God bless you.